Yo, what up? This is Joey Scholes and Jack Dead from the band Above Snakes. And you're listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rock Podcast. everybody good evening it is jay scott what's going on what's happening what you doing it is another episode of the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast hope you're doing well staying safe and staying healthy the numbers are getting better seems to be turning a corner at least with positivity rates who knows what's going to happen with this mutant strain that everybody's talking about it's like a horror movie the way they're talking about it but let's see hopefully these things, these trends continue because I'm getting tired of doing the same old, same old almost every day. And I uh, can't wait to get out and about and enjoy myself at a nice restaurant or go to a show or see a ball game or go to a club. You name it. Can't wait to do it. But as always, we are an escape for you. We're talking music. We're talking great topics, topics that you're interested in or maybe you didn't know you were interested in. But we're here for you. We're offering that escape. And also like to mention that we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a music platform or a platform for music podcasts. So check out PantheonPodcast.com. You can find them on Twitter, Twitter at Pantheon Pods. I always link up all my episodes to their Twitter feed as well. So Give them a chance. They've got some great, great other podcasts like my friends in the Shout Out Loudcast, Martin Popoff, Decibel Geek, whole slew of other podcasts. So check them out. They have a great platform and they've got some great shows. And we've got a great show for you tonight. It is a topic that always brings somewhat of a heated discussion, but I will say a passionate discussion at least. And that is what debut album is better it's the battle royale it's the world series it is the super bowl of rock topics appetite for destruction versus van halen one and i'd like to welcome in my guest from my rock and roll heaven he's a repeat offender it's the second time on the show (laughs) mr chris preston how you doing man Hello, Jay. I am well. Thank you for having me back to talk more rock. I'm excited. All those great podcasts, including yours that you mentioned, are such a great escape for me. I think I said that the first time I was on the show. I discovered so many great music podcasts over the last, what is it, almost a year. I guess it's approaching a year we've been in this situation. So it's been a great escape, and uh, I'm glad to be back to talk about this clash of the titans that we are uh, about to get into. It's certainly, as you said, a topic of uh, heated debate and passion when it comes to these two fantastic debut hard rock albums, that's for sure. And there's lots of ways to tackle this, so I'm excited to dig in with you. Yeah, there are a lot of ways to really look at this. You know, I mean, both albums are 
widely regarded as two of the biggest albums in rock history. Um, they're roughly 10 years apart. Um, they both come from bands from the Hollywood scene, the L.A. scene. Both played on the Sunset Strip. Van Halen, you could argue, is the reason why there was the Sunset Strip of rock bands in the 80s. You know, bands like Motley Crue and Rat and Wasp and L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat and Guns N' Roses. So there is a connection with both bands being that they're both from the same scene, just different generations, different decades. Um, this is a, a, a tough discussion. This is a tough, um, in terms of what rock fans think and how, how people view it. Right. Um, right. You can't argue with the, with the video audio, I'm sorry, the, the video presence of appetite for destruction. You know, you have that visual image of those three videos of this band of outlaws, this band of just look like, you know, they, you know, <laughs> they just got in from a three day party and, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, they, they certainly, you know, looked like they sounded and it. And I think you could say that about Van Halen too. They looked like they sounded, but you know, one was an up tempo party band, you know, Van Halen had very few darker songs. I mean, you can look at the, Fair Warning album as as kind of a, a a different pace for them in terms of their writing style and of course House of Pain, but when you think of Van Halen one, it is in my opinion out maybe outside of Back in Black probably the ultimate party album to put on at a well when we were in high school it was you know the ultimate party album to play at a keg party or you know backyard party or whatever you whatever you call it. Agreed. Absolutely agree. So, you know, Van Halen did not have the benefit of the visual aspect of it. Um, so if you're going to go that route, you know, Guns N' Roses would have more of an impact, I think. But I'm going to just say it at the beginning of the episode, this is kind of where I stand. Out of the two albums, one of them changed the game, and that's Van Halen 1, because everything after that, never sounded the same. It was so influenced by Eddie's playing and the tone and the up-tempo and the, just the, the chaos that you heard on Van Halen 1, whether it's I'm the One, Atomic Punk, um, On Fire, all those songs just had a sense of coming out of the speakers and grabbing you and never letting you go. Yeah. 100% agree with you in terms of, you know, Van Halen one being the, with exactly as you said, without Van Halen and Van Halen one would have any of the rest of what followed actually happened. Right. So in terms of the influence on obviously everything that came after it, I don't think anyone will argue that, Van Halen one set the tone at a time when right when, when Van Halen was up and coming in those mid to late seventies and they released their debut album, you know, music was kind of all over the place, right? They 
rock and roll was kind of in this weird spot because you had like your, you know, your sticks and your REO speed wagon and that stuff, but you had new wave was coming in and you had, it was the height of the disco era and the heavy metal thing kind of was off in its own little corner with your hardcore black Sabbath guys. So Van Halen was the band that kind of changed everything in terms of the name of the game for hard rock and brought a brand new audience, I think, to hard rock. And I think, you know, you talk about the 80s, we talked about, you know, 80s glam metal first time it was on and, you know, what killed it. And, you know, that a lot of the audience for the glam scene in the 80s brought in a female crowd. I think Van Halen did that initially back in the late 70s. They, you know, all the guys wanted to be Van Halen. All they, the girls wanted to be with Van Halen, and they brought in that female audience, I think, really early on. So it expanded the audience for hard rock that much more. Um, and then, obviously, everything that followed after that, you know, resulted, I think, from, as you said, you know, this great band coming out, this party band that everybody wanted to have a good time. Um, you know, we just right at the cusp of, you know, the decade of decadence, too, as we've talked about in the past, where, you know, things started to get, everything was big and money was being spent and parties and that was the lifestyle. So these guys kicked it off 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the girls wanted to get with Van Halen. More specifically, they wanted to get with David Lee Roth. You know, I mean, Correct. you know, Correct. <laughs> I still remember watching the, the fair warning, uh, the unchained uh, video off the fair warning album. And he's in those pants. Oh, and, as God, a, what? and as a young yeah. kid, I had to like shield my eyes. I'm like, dude, man, <laughs> that thing's like, I don't have 3d glasses on, but your junk's like popping out of the screen. My God. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's two, the albums were released in two different times. Like you mentioned, rock music became very formula when Van Halen 1 came out. And you could say the same, too, for Guns N' Roses, although I do think it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't till later in the early 90s where that scene started to become really, really formula. Um, so I think Appetite for Destruction was already out for a few years before that really started to happen. Um, you know, when I do interview a lot of new bands now, I do the music spotlight, and a lot of bands come on. A lot of them cite Appetite for Destruction as an influence, you know, because that's you know, you know, their parents are in their thirties at this time, or or maybe thirties when they are, are young when they had these kids. I mean, a lot of these kids are now in their twenties, so they're roughly you know a few years younger than me, and um, you know, they they cite listening to Appetite for Destruction because of their dad listening to it or their uncle. Um, you know, whoever, whoever it was, you know, they cite Appetite in the, in the Black album. Um, I think, you know, one of the reasons, one of the, I don't want to always say the word negative, but one of the disappointing things about Van Halen later on, you know, before Eddie had passed was they were not very active and they did not release a lot of material. So I do believe that did affect their legacy and the appreciation that, bands and people have for them you know i mean we we just saw that article last year or the day before or the year before about billy ellish who didn't know who eddie van halen I was, was i was just gonna mention that exactly yeah. right 
So, and Van Halen, you know, really doesn't have anybody to blame for that, but themselves, you know, the Van Halen entity, um, you know, we can discuss that, you know, that's a whole different conversation to have, but yeah, you know, Van Halen, you know, their, their legacy was very, you know, impacted by that. I remember reading an article, I don't know if it was in Rolling Stone or it was a music magazine that talked about, will Van Halen be one of those bands that just fades off into the distance? You know, like like another example, they covered their song, The Kinks, you know. Um, you know, The Kinks have yep. kind of faded, you know, too as well because, you know, obviously over time. But, you know, when I read that article, I was kind of disappointed because Eddie meant so much to rock music and he meant so much to the scene back then and, and the influence of the guitar that was disappointing to read that, but it is a reality, you know, that, that's a, that is for Van Halen fans, you know, one of those things that hopefully out of the, the negative of, of Eddie passing, the positive is, is that people and young people do discover their music again and learn to appreciate what is and what was Van Halen. Yeah, you know what? You could almost, right along those lines, you could almost place Guns N' Roses in a very similar situation to a degree, right? Because, very true. Yeah. you know, they, they they came up, you know, they had now much more compact and initial career. They had that six or seven years where they were massive, right? But, you know, they flamed out. Uh, they had that huge gap of time where Axel was, you know, trying to make Chinese democracy forever and ever. But, you know, they were gone from the public eye um, for the longest time. And, you know, thankfully did reunite most of them. And we got the tour and everything, but are they going to make new music? We don't know. So is their legacy, you know, it's along the same lines of Van Halen, but to me, you know, looking at the big picture, as we're talking about the two debut albums, you know, Van Halen, I think is, if you ask any rock fan, widely regarded as one of the most, important and influential rock bands of all time, uh, et cetera. Guns N' Roses, you know, yes, a great band. They don't have the length of career or catalog or broad works that Van Halen does. So do you place them in that same upper echelon of, you know, top rock bands of all time? I don't know. I, you know, I'm a fan of both equally, or actually maybe Van Halen a little bit more, which will be towards where I'm going <laughs> with my choice. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of discrepancy there just between the two bands. So it's interesting to hear different opinions of fans. So I, I put out a poll question last week, which I mentioned to you about, I put it out to my Twitter audience, right? You know, what's your favorite of the two albums, Appetite for Destruction versus Van Halen 1? I was expecting a very split audience and it ended up on my poll and I was shocked. My poll skewed 53% appetite for destruction, 47% Van Halen after Van Halen had taken a huge early lead and that's almost 1900 votes over the, the period of the poll. And I was like, wow. And then I noticed well, you had done one as well and you got almost the exact same result, but in reverse. Right, right. Yeah, Which is interesting. Yeah, mine was fifty-two forty-eight. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a demographic thing. With so when I sat down, you know, I was when you approached me to 
go over the topic for this show. I, I sat down and I, I looked at it from different angles, from that angle of like, you know, personal taste to, you know, pure numbers to legacy to all of that stuff. Um, for me, it came down to a fact of, you know, Guns N' Roses Outside for Destruction was released right in my wheelhouse when I was a teenager in high school and it was huge, right? So I've known it since its outset, since the day it came out. I remember hearing Welcome to the Jungle for the first time and was like, who is this band? This is amazing. Getting the album, all of my friends had it. Like, you know, for three years, all we listened to was Appetite for Destruction. But I didn't discover Van Halen 1 until, I'm going to say, probably 85, 86, after 1984, which was my big Van Halen album. So there's two different eras there that, you know, definitely help shape, you know, my personal taste at the time. And Guns N' Roses was be all and end all for all of us at that time frame. And Van Halen was more of a slow burn for me. And then once, you know, Sammy came along and 5150 became my favorite Van Halen album, that's when I started to go back into the back catalog. So there was kind of two different things going on there, which I think had a huge influence on, depending on when you grew up, because I noticed a lot of the comments on my Twitter poll from some of my followers that are probably like mid to late fifties, it was all Van Halen, right? Like, Oh, Van Halen one was my high school. That was grade 10 for me. Find my musical, you know, experience and life at the time. Whereas for my demographic and probably closer to yours, I'm assuming as well, it would be definitely appetite for destruction. So I'm curious, did you have the same kind of, yeah, you know, feedback I, this, this, there? I did notice a lot more of the younger people were choosing Guns N' Roses. And I think that goes back to, you know, how how the lack of activity really impacted Van Halen's legacy. Now you are right. You know, Guns N' Roses had the same thing. What was it? Seventeen years in between albums, between yeah. Appetite and Chinese Democracy, and basically it was an Axl Rose solo album. And you know, none of the other original members were even in the band. So you know, people. You know, that's a that's a love hate album. You know, some people love it. Some some people oh, hate for sure. it. Um. So there are similarities. You are absolutely correct. You know, the body of work obviously is in Van Halen's favor. Um, I think when you put up both albums, you can make the argument that the deeper cuts are equally as strong. You know, on Van Halen, you talk Agreed. about I Am The One. You talk about On Fire or Atomic Punk or Feel Your Love Tonight. You know, whereas, well, How is Feel Your Love Tonight? Not That's not... The fact that's a deep, like that would be for any band a hit single, in my opinion, right? Like, yeah, that's just showing you the strength of that. Yeah, that album. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and then you have, you know, Guns N' Roses, Mister Brownstone, It's So Easy, uh, My Michelle. Oh, so many. You know, anything goes. You know, so you can say that you know the band, the albums from top to bottom are both equally strong in terms of material, in terms of there not being any filler on the albums. Now I will say I think the weakest songs on Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction are the singles. Okay. Um I Interesting. I do not like I've never liked Sweet Child of Mine. I've just never connected with that song. 
you know, it's all right. I won't turn it off, but it just never does. It doesn't do anything for me. Uh, I love Paradise it's City. It's funny. That's, yes, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I love Paradise it's, City. It's just funny that, that you you have a, a dislike for Sweet Child of Mine because you took the words right out of my mouth. It's one that actually I couldn't care less if I didn't hear it again. And yeah. it's funny, again, that that is their only number one single on the Billboard Hot 100. And it's probably, if you ask a lot of you know real Guns N' Roses fans, that's probably going to be the song that they're going to say, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, my opinion. Anyway. Right, right, and and then when you you know listen to "Welcome to the Jungle," um, you know it's it's a great intro. It's a great oh, you know way to start exactly. an album. However, when you compare it to the Mammoth first song on Van Halen one, "Running with the Devil," <laughs> yeah, that I mean, baseline starting it all off. I mean, "Running with the Devil" takes you on a journey. It it sets the table. Um. Welcome to the Jungle is a great rock song. It's a great intro yeah. to an album. It's a good way to start an album. But, man, I mean, I don't know. We, comparing it to Running with the Devil and Daily Roth's performance on that and Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen's performance, I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's generational, but you, how can you even compare both songs? I mean, you know, the other thing, too, is when you look at the way the albums were introduced to the public – Appetite for Destruction fell flat for the first, what, eight yeah. months it was out? Didn't do anything. Did nothing. Nothing. And they re-released it. Um, I still remember seeing the world premiere for the video at, on Headbangers Ball on a Saturday night at like at the, like the last hour, in the last hour. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that song was, was pretty good. And then I didn't hear anything about them for months. And then all of a sudden it got reintroduced and it was like the biggest thing since blueberry pancakes but um it's pretty funny eh yeah. really interesting that that happened like you know what the first this is good this is exactly to your point of how it came out so the actual very first time i heard welcome to the jungle and i had forgotten about it because i i always associated with and i heard of it a friend of mine played it for me and i was like oh my god this is amazing but going back the first time i heard it was in the Dirty Harry movie, The Deadpool, and it was, if you remember, if you remember that, it, it was a very young Jim Carrey playing this coked out rock star, and he was making a music video and lip syncing to Welcome to the Jungle in the movie The Deadpool. And that, and that song had been out, as you said, for quite some time, and the album had been out, mm-hmm. and until they reissued it, it had done nothing, so it's, it's kind of funny that, you know, that's just it didn't get any traction initially for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you compare it to Van Halen, it was almost overnight that Van Halen one broke and everybody was like, what the hell is that? I mean, everybody has that story of their neighbor, you know, grabbing kids that yeah. were like, you know, playing in the street. You got to come here and listen to this. You got to listen to this. And they're playing, you know, I don't know if it was, you really got me or running with the devil or whatever it was. But it was a game changer. When you look at the guitar, the guitar never sounded the same as it did before Van Halen 1. It completely changed the face. It started a whole genre of shredders. You know, we, we talk about, you know, your Jason Beckers, your Marty Friedmans, your Richie Cottons, um, everyone, Satriani, you know, all those guys, Steve Vai. 
none of those guys pick up a guitar if it's not for Van Halen 1. And yes, I do think Slash is an influential guitar player. I think he's an excellent guitar player. But I don't think he changed the game. He didn't change how guitar was played. Um, You can't argue with the monumental influence that Van Halen had on music. Whereas I believe Guns N' Roses was influential and Appetite for Destruction was influential, but it wasn't a game changer. It didn't change the face of music. Music was predominantly the same after that album came out. You know, there were still your Motley Crue's. I mean, there might have been some different changes in look. Um, You know, I'll grant them that. They had kind of that sleazy look that bands kind of embraced after that. But, you know, it, it didn't... It didn't really, it wasn't a game changer like Van Halen 1. And, and you can't argue, even if you're not a fan of Van Halen 1, you, but you're a fan of music, you have to appreciate how that changed everything. I mean, guitar players that were playing before Van Halen 1 changed how they played. There's no bigger example of that than Neil Sean from Journey. Listen to all Journey's albums before Good point. Van Halen 1. And then listen to Stone in Love on Escape. Listen to how he played, how he sounded after that. I yeah, mean, the tone of the, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, that distortion and, and, this, and the tone and everything, it, it changed for everybody. So, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Slash because he's a, he's, you know, Slash is, you know, you know, a king of the hook. He writes excellent hooks um, as a guitar player, but. Come on. I mean, you can't compare, you know, one of the probably the greatest of all time, if not, you know, one of the greatest, but to Slash, who's a great guitar player. Yeah, I agreed. If, if, if you, any interview I've seen or read with any band, especially in LA, right, in the early 80s or mid 80s, you know, anyone, anyone that you watch or read, every single guitarist says we were all trying to be Eddie Van Halen, right? We were all trying to do what he was doing, the tapping and everything. There's a good interview with George Lynch from Dawkins. And he was, you know, like Van Halen was the first time I went to see him was like mind blown. Who is this guy? And how can I do what he's doing? And then guns and roses. And there's that influence of Eddie and Van Halen, but guns and roses. And I do agree with you on that as well. You know, in terms of the, influence they had on changing the game i don't think that's there what they did do was i think they came in at the right time when you know they were starting to get a little fucky maybe in the hard rock there was a lot of formulaic stuff going on with you know glam metal was getting big um there were power ballads everywhere right um so they came in with a grittier kind of you know harder edge that might have steered people more in that direction, but I don't think that it was a game changer the way that Van Halen was in that way. Yeah. I mean, you look at the harmonies, you look at the guitar playing, you look at the the frontman presence of David Lee Roth, and not to say Axel, you know, is a bad frontman. He certainly isn't, but... I mean, David Lee Roth, out, you know, I mean, they both kind of have the same comparison. Great front man, not the best voices, right? Um, yeah, correct. But, you know, David Lee Roth was more or less the Liberace of 
hard rock heavy metal. You know, he was the lounge. That's, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a very good. I love that. That's perfect. You nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, he was the he was like the lounge guy in Vegas. You know, he was the you know he was the table setter, and you know he had this swagger about him, which which Axl Rose did, but it was a different. Axl Rose was more kind of danger and attitude where Roth was more seductive and you know yeah. he was more you know the you know every every guy wanted to be him and every girl wanted to be on him you know so um <laughs> yep you know i mean you talk of any teenage girl growing up in the late 70s and early 80s um you know they had their van halen poster i just talked to carrie stevens you know, in, in her book, she talks about the presence of the David Lee Roth poster on her wall as she was growing up, and the guys all had the picture of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, when you yeah. t- when you talk about, you know, the the type of style each man had. I mean, Guns N' Roses was a blues based band, very um, you know Stones esque type of type of band and you know they were once called you know the the next rolling stones you know where van halen was more or less different they didn't really sound like anything that had come before them you know they were a party band they they were the party band of southern california they had these huge backyard parties um back in the (laughs) 70s that would draw thousands of kids so much that it was on the news they you know they would break in with live coverage about these kids walking up and down the street to this huge backyard party that would require police helicopters to break them up if and if you how crazy i mean how i mean how insane is that you know the band is playing this backyard party and this big spotlight from a helicopter is breaking the party up and if you haven't read van halen rising by greg renoff it is an excellent, excellent book, book excellent book but um you know there was turmoil in Guns N' Roses before their first album with the breakup of Tracy Guns and Axl Rose. You know, Axl Rose came from Hollywood Rose and um, the band that Tracy Guns came in was, was it LA Guns or was it, um, i trying to remember. The I think name. it was LA Guns, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they merged and they called it Guns N' Roses. And, you know, there was a lot of politics involved and there was a lot of infighting and, you know, Tracy ended up leaving Guns N' Roses and formed his own band, which later obviously became what we know as L.A. Guns. But, you know, one of the things about Guns N' Roses that really has to be pointed out is they really didn't fulfill the expectations that people had for them. You know, after Appetite for Destruction, and I know we're kind of getting off topic because, you know, we're talking about the debut albums, but when you look at the band's history, you know, they took... they they. They released Use Your Illusion, which was, you can call an experimental album for a hard rock band. You know, Axel really wanted to push the envelope. And I appreciate that. You know, I always appreciate a band that wants to stretch their talents and get into different things and do different things. However, after that, I kind of, I don't want to say blame Guns N' Roses, but the lack of presence for what was supposed to be one of the greatest rock bands of all time in the 90s when grunge more or less took over. I have to think that if Guns N' Roses had any type of presence back then, there still would have been a 
rock base in terms of rock bands. I think they would have stuck to their guns and released what they wanted to release, and, and rock fans would have had a place to go. Instead, you know, for that period in the mid to late 90s and into the 2000s, rock fans really didn't know what to do. They were kind of lost. There wasn't really a lot of great new bands coming out. There were a few, but, you know, Guns N' Roses, yeah, Guns N' Roses kind of let rock and roll down, you know, with their infighting and their, and the situation, you know, taking 17 years to release a album in between, you know, Chinese democracy and user illusion. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's my opinion, but that did happen. Yeah, when you when you look at it that way, I think you're right because they really were touted to be the band that you know basically rock was going to carry on with them as kings of the castle and use your illusion. I, I like use your illusion albums. Um, most I think Guns N' Roses hardcore fans don't like a lot of what's on either of them. I think one really great one could have been made of the boat to play short and it got a little bit bloated right and Axel as you said was kind of doing his experimentation I was completely lost with Guns N' Roses after that spaghetti incident did absolutely nothing for me Chinese Democracy I listened to I think for about three days and then that was it for, for them so in terms of them kind of letting down the rock world I could certainly see where that is a absolutely valid point because they really should have been again if they were able to keep it all together and you know do what they were on track to do i don't see why they wouldn't have been releasing albums all the way through that period of time that they fell apart there's such a so many talented guys in that band but when you've got that many egos especially one big one that's kind of running the show i guess it's hard to you know, keep the momentum going. So whether they just lost steam, you know, I know there's been lots written about what happened and, and uh, you know, the band dissolving and Axel kind of taking the show and running away with it, even getting the rights to the names and all that. But, you know, their legacy will stay intact for the sheer fact that, you know, when you go back to it, Appetite for Destruction is regarded by many, many as the best, hard rock debut album of all time. And when you look at it, I mean, you look at the numbers, it's one of the best selling albums of all time as well. Right. So there's, there's these different factors that come into play. Who's right. Who's wrong. I don't know. I, I think Jay, we are, you know, we're, we're definitely guys who have uh, opinions that should be listened to in terms of what we think, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to tell anybody what to think, right? Everybody has their no, own music taste. And, 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 um, That's why I like a lively debate. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, when people do say Appetite for Destruction is way better than Van Halen 1, no, it's it's not. Right. That's, it's, that's it's, where you got to step in. You know, I mean, it's a great album, but it just everything that came after that, it didn't change the game. Um, Van Halen 1 did. You can't dispute that. You cannot say Van Halen 1 wasn't a game changer. If you look at like the five albums in rock history that changed the game, Van Halen 1 is on that list. You could say Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? You could say the first Beatles album. You can say um, Back in Black or or Zeppelin 1 or whatever it was, which is another great debut album. And I find it ridiculous yeah, that, pe- that, that, that people call it a covers album it is not 
a covers album. I know, so weird. It is not. I mean, people say that, but, you know, it is, I mean, there's a lot more original material, and usually it's the people that just don't like Led Zeppelin, um, you know, that say, oh, it's a covers album, because Van Halen's got two covers on their debut. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. They both sound nothing like the original versions, as does the ones on Led Zeppelin 1. Good times. Are you a a believer in just... Sorry to talking about covers. Are you are you of the mind that Van Halen's "You Really Got Me" is better than the original? Oh, for sure. I am. Oh, yeah. I say a hundred percent. Yes, yes. Um, you know, getting back though the, to to Led's up and good times, bad times, not a cover. Uh, Babe, I'm gonna leave you. Some people regard it as a cover, but Page and Plant also wrote different sequences and different parts of that song. You know, "You Shook Me" is a cover. Days and Confused is not a cover. Your Time is Going to Come right. is not a cover. Communication Breakdown is not a cover. How Many More Times is not a cover. I Can't Quit You, Babe, is. So there's three, you could say three covers on that, on that album? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's not a covers album. No, and then when you look at the albums that were coming out by the Stones and other albums at that time that were debut albums, a lot of them were covering blues acts, you know, back then. But, um, you know, Zeppelin One is regarded... Uh, Boston's debut album is is I think more influential than Appetite for Destruction in terms of production and how it sonically sounded because I think Boston's album certainly changed the game with how music was mixed and produced after that. I mean that's a that's a beautifully oh, yeah. mixed and yeah. produced. Tom album. Schultz a genius, right? Yeah, absolute absolutely. genius when it comes to that. Um, you know, Black Sabbath obviously was a game changer too, as well. Um, the Jimi Hendrix album that we um, that we mentioned, but you know, Appetite. I, the way I look at Guns and Roses is a, a good band with a great debut album. Yeah, uh, but they could never, ever, ever live up to right. Right. Ever. Right. They it, were never. Yeah, and then you look at Van Halen. You know, Van Halen one, great album. Van Halen two, great album. Women and Children first, great album. Fair warning. Great <laughs> Keep album. Keep it going. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, everything that they put out up until probably Diver Down, and I know there's a lot of Diver Down fans out there, but oh, you, yeah, you get debate going there. Yeah, the four albums that they released um, in the beginning part of their career. I mean, I mean, it's hard to say another band had those four top albums like that. I mean, and then they released 1984, which would have been number one had it not been for Michael Jackson Thriller. Um, yep. You know, and then they change singers and have a number one album. So, you know, the legacy four with them. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and the legacies are both different for each band. They both had different journeys and different paths, but I don't know. And that's a whole other topic entirely. Right. right. <laughs> but you know, I rock mean, versus Hagar. Oh my God. Um, but when you think about the albums, you know, appetite and Van Halen one, like I said, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, the deep cuts, are strong. There is no filler on each of these albums. You know, I'm the one has the Van Halen swagger that just, you know, is what they're all about with the harmonies and the guitar and just Roth, just, you know, singing like he's out in the jungle and everything. And um, it's such a diverse song when you hear it. I don't know if Appetite for Destruction has the diversity that Van Halen one has. Yeah, I agreed. There's a, 
you know, Appetite's a great hard rock record, but you know, when you go through from top to bottom, from songs one to twelve, um, there's certainly you can connect them all, right? There's a not that they all sound the same. I don't mean that, but it's all the same style, and there's so many vastly different styles on Van Halen one, right? So many. I mean, you throw yeah at the cover, but you throw Ice Cream Man in there. Um, Feel Your Love Tonight is just a great, I think, like almost like a great pop rock song. You've got the hard rockers, you know, Running With The Devil is just so powerful. Again, great album, Appetite for Destruction, great rock album, but there's not that wide variety of styles or sounds that is on the original. So again, you know, speaking of influence, I think there was a lot more that came out of that Van Halen one album as a result of having all those different sounds and styles on it um, that influenced again, what was to come. So yeah, it's a, I certainly in terms of all killer, no filler, these there's, I can probably count on my 10 fingers, the albums that I will listen to take a record out, right? Plop it on the turntable and listen to side one and flip it over and listen to side two without skipping around on, you know, Spotify or whatever. These two are definitely in that list of albums that I will listen to. Even though, as I said, I'm not, you know, a huge fan of Sweet Child. If I'm playing the record, I will listen to it through. There are literally are 10 probably on my list that are those. And these two are definitely on it. Van Halen certainly near the top of that list. Um, but well, let me ask you this, as we're talking about, you know, these two albums, have you had discussions with, I've had debates about this in particular with friends and musicians where it came down to a numbers game. I've had a couple really hardcore debates about like, well, you can't, you know what, appetite for destruction. And then they start naming off, you know, it was number one on the billboard 200. It is 30 million copies worldwide. It had three top 10 singles. It's diamond status in Canada and the U S it was top 10 in 11 countries. And then they go, well, Van Halen, they only hit number 19. They only sold 10 million copies. It was more of a North American phenomenon. They weren't as worldwide as Guns N' Roses. So it, it's interesting that some people will take that angle of going with the, I got to back my choice up with some hardcore sales numbers <laughs> rather than, you know, what it may have influenced and what came out of it. So I'm curious if you've had similar discussions with, you know, kind of, hard data and rankings and where they sat on the charts. Yeah, I, I've had, I've seen that, you know, I've seen where people have pulled that out of their back pocket and said, Oh, well, Guns N' Roses appetite was a <laughs> number one album. And what they don't put in that conversation or don't include in the conversation is Guns N' Roses had the advantage of MTV. Okay. So, 100%. you know, you come home from school, you'd flip on cable and you turn on MTV and you'd see Guns N' Roses, you'd see all these bands, and that was a big, huge part. Van Halen, you know, in 1978, there was no social media. There was none under Guns N' Roses, but there was no way of visually seeing the band other than what was on the cover. So, yep. and, and also, too, you know, music like that was so different. No, no one ever sounded like Van Halen. Um there, there was not a lot of stations that played it right away that, you know, gave exposure to a lot of young kids. I mean, that album took off virtually by word of mouth. 
Okay. You know, when, when, when young kids are listening and showing their friends and telling their friends, there was no, you know, big marketing campaign for Van Halen 1. It was all, my brother played this album, my cousin has this album, you know, and it was all word of mouth. Um, so you really, that's not really a fair comparison to say Guns N' Roses was a number one album. I will say this. Um, I will say this. When, when people do tell me that, I always say, well, Britney Spears had a lot of number one albums. You want to you know, have the debate <laughs> like that? If you want to use that debate on what album was better, a Britney Spears or a Guns N' Roses, you can't say just because an album was number one, it's a better album. You can't do that. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I always go back to as well. It's that exact, exact same thing. You can't compare the eras, as you mentioned, number one, because the MTV era, I mean, there's a reason why so many third-rate, you know, metal bands in the 80s sold a million copies of albums that are pretty forgettable, and a lot of it had to do with their MTV image, right? So we know that. So there's that. There's the era of, you know, the 80s, especially in the late 80s, was such an era of consumerism, and CDs had become so huge, right? And, you know, the people were running out and replacing their albums that they had had previously on vinyl or cassette and buying the CDs. I know I did that with a bunch of mine. So they had the benefit of all those things. So it's, uh, it's definitely, when you look at just drawing straight comparisons with sheer chart positions or sales data, you know, I think it's not a, a valid point that a lot of these people are making when they say that. And I, I always point out too, I'm just like, hey, FYI, you know, Van Halen 1 has not been recertified since 1996. So I guarantee you, you know, in the last 24 years, they've sold another 10 million copies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, and the other thing is, let's look at the, like we talked about diversity with Van Halen 1. You have these just ridiculous guitar, whatever Eddie's doing on that, on, on, on that album. You have these background vocals, these harmonies, these three-part, four-part harmonies on Van Halen 1 which I don't know of any band in that realm. Maybe Def Leppard could do some harmonies. I know Dokken could do some harmonies, but really... Yeah, I was just going to say Def Leppard, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know of any band that could have that type of music with that type of beat. You know, David Lee Roth talks about the dance tempo that he wanted for the Van Halen songs. I forget what the beat sequence is or what the beat tempo is, but... You know, that would bring girls into the club because you can dance to their music. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yep. And you also, if you want to hear a dance beat that's kind of like the rumba, listen to Jamie's Crying. Listen to that intro on Alex playing drums. That's a rumba beat. You know, that's a dance. That's a ballroom dance beat. You know, um, there's nothing like that on Appetite for Destruction. And and keep in mind all those things, all those elements. You know the 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 Beach Boys, the Dave Clark Five, the ZZ Top influence in Van Halen One. I mean, all those things kind of are going into one thing, and it comes out and it's Van Halen. Um, and you know, you just listen to it, and it's got so much stuff. I mean, for a music lover, there's something for everything, everybody on that album. Yeah, I just finished reading uh, Ted Templeman's, uh, well, Greg Renoff's book with Ted Templeman. And 
it was outstanding and it was so cool to hear his take and his influence on Van Halen through the years and especially, you know, on that first album because Ted did a lot of, I had no idea that Ted was such a accomplished musician in his own right and had all these bands and a lot of stuff exactly like you just said along the lines of those harmonies with the Beach Boys. Those are the types of bands, you know, Ted was a California guy, right? And, you know, those are the types of bands he was in and listening to. And one thing about Van Halen, those early albums, especially, you know, one, two, three, what, whatever that stands out to me about the vocals is obviously those harmonies that are Michael and Eddie. And so many of them sound very Beach Boy-esque, right? Yeah. Like it's that whole, again, party band, California, surfer, David Lee Roth, like the ultimate surfer dude, you know, party guy. And it all came together in this perfect mix of music and influence and styles and, you know, what was going on at the time. And, you know, Templeman, to his credit, took that on Van Halen 1 and ran with it. And I, I remember reading in the book about, you know, how they had to coax a lot out of David Lee Roth and his vocals weren't very strong, which they never really had been. I think, you know, most Van Halen fans admit that, but it's not about you know, vocal performance with Dave. It's about that blonde, long-haired front man up there on the stage doing jumps off the risers that that's what Van Halen was about, the party, right? Mm -hmm. Not about necessarily his chops with the vocals on the album and having to go in and redo songs multiple times, but it was that overall vibe that they were given off. And to me, you know, Van Halen 1 has that vibe that, I don't think you can compare appetite to destruction to. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's so many, I mean, appetite Destru for destruction is a great rock album. It's blues based. Like I said, you can hear the stones, you can hear some punk elements too in that as well. Um, but there's just so much, it's like a buffet of like different influences on Van Halen one. I mean, Talk about like 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 we talked about. I'm the one. I mean, this is a a song with a swagger, a song that just is ready to kick you in the teeth. It's got an incredible guitar solo, and in the middle of it, there's this barbershop quartet, like harmonizing you know, with David Lee <laughs> yeah. Roth and Michael Anthony and Eddie Van Halen. I mean, it's just like you like you didn't expect that at all, and and it just proved that Van Halen could do it all on that album. Look at the harmonizing on, on Feel Your Love Tonight. Um, Jamie's crying. Uh, I mean, you know, it's just it's just unbelievable what they could do. Um, and also, too, everybody talks about Eddie shredding on that album, whether it's Eruption or Ain't Talking About Love. The rhythm guitar playing that Eddie did is just incredible. He's an incredible rhythm Agreed. guitar player with a great sense of timing and great sense of feel. And that's not talked about enough. And... The other thing is, is that most of that out, excuse me, most of that album was recorded live on one take, one or two takes. Mind blowing, eh? I mean, that's one of the reasons why they didn't go with Gene Simmons when Gene Simmons did that demo was because Eddie, Eddie didn't like the overdubbing. Eddie just wanted to play. Yeah. And Gene was of the old school, you know, you layer the, the, the tracks and, you know, they just wanted to go in and just play the songs live and then... What was Van Halen one recorded in less than a week? 
Yeah, something like that. Which yeah. is, when you when you think about it, you think about it, and you think what came out of a week long of an album like that, you know, iconic. And then you look at other bands that spend you know months and months and years. Yeah, <laughs> Guns and Roses example. Right. You know, and come out with a product that's so overblown and bloated, and you know, so much going on. It's just like whoa, it doesn't work. But there's the. Uh, it's just, you mentioned eruption briefly there. I mean, for me, you know, eruption is one thing that Van Halen one has that appetite does not have. And to me, it's eruption, right? Like that is the gold standard. I think if you ask me, I'm not a guitarist, but I mean, I know quite a few, but I think it's the best guitar solo, you know, song, whatever you want to call it of all time in terms of instrumental, like up until, I've never, I never even would have thought of, you know, listening to a song that was strictly a guitar solo. And the fact that, you know, they've got that on there, it fits beautifully, obviously, where it is on the album. It leads into that great, you know, start of You Really Got Me. You know, to me, that just elevates, again, speaking of Eddie's prowess and, you know, his absolutely insane styles that you have no one had heard anything like it and probably never will really because i know even he has said in interviews he'd try things and then be like what the hell was that and try and re- repeat it and he couldn't do it again but it's there's there's nothing that can compare to that whatever it is what one minute 50 seconds something piece of music that's there on that album that there is no comparison. I don't think on anything that's come since and definitely not on appetite. So it just takes it that extra step up for me in terms of, yeah, you've got a great guitarist. who's this fantastic player, both rhythm and lead on all these songs in this album. And this piece of music that he's written eruption just to me puts it over the top, right? Like you just can't, you can't get any better than that. I don't think. No. No, and I still remember hearing that for the first time, thinking to myself, what the hell is this? Like, exactly. how is he playing this? Like, what is he doing? And that's the essence of Van Halen 1, of that album, and how it changed the game. Because there was, there was yeah. nothing, there was nothing that even came close to that ever recorded on an album. And, you know, for for people to diminish what Van Halen was to guitar players and to rock music um, need to revisit that album and need to put themselves in the place in 1978, late, late 70s, early 80s, hearing that album um, versus Guns N' Roses, where you know there was already pretty much a rock scene with Motley Crue and Rat and Def Leppard and you know, Scorpions and all these bands that were out there. So Guns N' Roses was an extension of that. They were a part of that. Van Halen started that. That's the difference, you know. 100%. And I'm not taking anything away from Appetite. It's a great album, but it was an extension of what was going on. It was a different take of what was going on. Van Halen was new. It was a game changer. And just like Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced changed the game, Van Halen 1 pretty much changed the game. 
you and I are in 100% agreement on that. I, I would have to say that it was the game changer. Absolutely. And to me, I always, I talk to friends about these two albums, you know, and I, I always challenge them, put on, if you've got a turntable, put on the records, put the record on if you've got one, listen to both. And yes, we've discussed at length that Appetite's a great album, but sonically, when you listen to Van Halen 1, and this is what still blows my mind about, you were talking about it, you know, they, they did this in a week, but the production and the, and the sonics on it are just those, like the drums are massive, the guitars are huge, the harmonies that we talked about, the vocals are fantastic. It's, and I love the recording, how they record Eddie's guitar and did on all those Temple albums, right? With the guitars in the left speaker, um, they changed that, you know, with 5150 and Eddie went more stereo, whatever. So the way they made that album sound at the time, the sonics that come out of it, to me, don't compare to anything released in that late 80s period um, and, and Appetite as well. I know Appetite, you know, was a raw sounding, aggressive record, not a lot of old production, et cetera. But when you compare them side by side, you know, in terms of being game-changing albums in their own rights, I, I go back to as well, just the fact the way that it was recorded and the way it sounds to me just as above and beyond anything that has come since. But that's just my opinion, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try and sway as many people as I can. No, I mean, it, it's it really is the truth. Um, and again, I talk to a lot of new bands on this show. And a lot of them do mention Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction more so than they do Van Halen. I just think that that is a reflection on Appetite for Destruction being newer in terms of when it came out um, versus when Van Halen came out. And I think Van Halen, you know, their career has a lot to do with it. Like I said in the beginning, you know, the lack of... Yeah. music and the lack of presence that Van Halen has had hopefully out of Eddie's death the sadness of Eddie's death the resurgence in Van Halen fans will you know will happen and I think it will I think you know I, you know a lot of people ask me or a lot of people start talking about you know their kids being home and e-learning and how they're struggling with it and how you know it's it's tough to keep their kid you know in a good mood or whatever and I always say have you tried have you tried Van Halen you know, just, just, just put it Amazing. on, just put it on in the background. No one can be in a bad mood listening to Van Halen, you know? So, um, you know, I think about a, an article I read, an interview I read, gosh, probably a decade or so ago about with Neil Sean from journey and how he would follow Eddie around because Van Halen opened for journey, I think in 78, 79. That's right. Yes, they did. You're right. Yeah. And Neil talks about, how he would follow him around because he wanted to learn like, like, dude, how are you doing that? Like, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Cause he was amazed by, by Eddie and they became long friendly, you know, long standing good friends for years. But a lot of guitar players are like that. A lot of guitar players who were great prior to Eddie Van Halen, like Leslie West or Billy Gibbons, they were blown away by Van Halen one, you know, Brian, yeah, how could you not be? Brian May, blown away by Van Halen, you know? I mean, when you think about that, I mean, that's, I mean, Jimmy Page, all these guys were like, Eric Clapton, you know, talks about 
Well, we all heard he was really fast. He could play really fast. And then I saw him live, and I was just, oh, my God. Not to say that, again, Slash is a great guitar player, but Eddie Van Halen makes that album, makes it so influential, and the band itself, the the all the things that go into that album, the dance beats, the harmonies, the guitar, the, the screams from Daily Roth, make that album by far the greatest rock debut album in the history of rock music. I think we have a consensus, Jay. I'm in agreement that it definitely Van Halen is the greatest debut album in rock music. 100%. Now, people, after hearing that, go ahead, fight me. Fight me. <laughs> yeah, hit you us know? up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, and there's also some other great debut albums too. You know, like I said, Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Led Zeppelin One. For sure. Black Sabbath, Boston. Boston. Yeah, I'm trying to remember some others off the top of my head, you know, but Too Fast for Love by Motley Crue, you know, had a different, unique sound to it too as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you think about Van Halen, um, I don't think 80s rock is happening without Van Halen. I don't think it exists. 80s rock in terms of, you know, the glam rock and, and the heavy metal and the hard rock of the 80s as we know it. Yeah, agreed. All those bands took what they, you know, took that Van Halen influence and style and there was, you know, so many of them wanted to be Van Halen, either Eddie, if he's a guitarist. I mean, Vince Neil has flat out said, you know, he, he David Lee Roth was an idol of his, you know, and Vince, certainly had a similar, that blonde kind of beach look going on back in the day. And uh, that's what those guys did. They took what Van Halen laid out for them and they ran with it. And the label certainly jumped all over it and signed every band that was, you know, the next Van Halen and sold a lot of records um, from a lot of bands in that era that, you know, touted themselves as wanting to be the next Van Halen. So exactly. I think we're both in agreement. The influence can't be denied and, you know, this piece of work that they put out, I think will stand the test of time. You know, after we're long gone, that someone will carry on Jay and have a podcast and discuss what they think the greatest hard rock album of all time is. And I think Van Halen one will definitely be in that conversation. I think so too. What was your favorite song? What is your favorite song on Van Halen one? You know, my favorite song is probably running with the devil. It's, if you're at like today, had you asked me, you know, back when I was in the mid eighties and getting into their back catalog, it probably would have been really got me. But over the years, running with the devil has become my standout favorite song on that album. Just the power, the, you know, Michael Anthony's what, what other song has a baseline starting it like that that gets you, you know, Oh man, what is this? And then everything kicks in and, it's it's a song that's got everything to me. Like, and it, it's a perfect representation, I think, of that album as a whole. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's Running with the Devil or I'm the One. I'm the One is just, you know, because of all the elements that we talked about, you know. the Yeah, it's a great know, track. Yeah. The swagger, the background vocals, the barbershop, you know, quartet breakdown in the middle, the the scorching guitar solo you know those two songs and of course and talking about love is a great tune and yeah i mean just, you know i mean it's hard to pick but yeah i would have to go with um running with the devil or on the one yeah they're both 
it's funny that the uh, I, I go back and read. Well, I shouldn't say I go back and revisit. I listen to that album all the time. But you know, back in the day, I probably would have focused on what you would call the hits from that album. It wasn't until probably like I'm gonna say it's probably the '90s that I actually appreciated what that album was as a whole with all the cuts. Like I, I discovered, you know, those songs, Atomic Punk and Little Dreamer and I'm the One much later because I tended to focus on in my teen years, you know, I want to hear the songs that I know that are popular or that I might see on, you know, MTV or whatever, or much music, whatever album it may be. So I'm really glad that, you know, at some point I decided to listen to the whole thing because, you know, as you said, songs like I'm the one and, and those other ones that are the, considered the deep cuts, I mean, you, you stack those up against other albums of the era and later into the 80s, and so many of those would have been singles for, well, it probably could have been singles for Van Halen too, but, you know, at the time they weren't, but could have been singles for other bands even. It's, it's crazy that, you know, and even I believe when they toured, you know, in 2013, 2015 with Ross back, I think they played like at least eight, possibly nine of the songs from that album, which if you think about that, like that's pretty crazy, right? For that's how influential and how fantastic this album is. The fact that you play nine of the songs in your live set, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just an amazing record. They're both amazing records, but, for those that believe Appetite for Destruction, you know, picking that album doesn't make you wrong or doesn't make you, no. you know, it, it just, <laughs> it just, you, you just haven't heard Van Halen. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's right. And we're, and we're here to, we're here to help you along that path and to educate, right, Jay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, you know, again, go listen to Van Halen one again and listen to it to you you know, believe in what we're telling you, but I'm kidding. Right. Um, but no, it, 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 it's, um, it's, it's a great debate to have. It's all, it'll be a, a debate forever on which debut album. Um, but you know, for those picking, you know, appetite, ask yourself, you know, what type of influence each album had on rock music. And if you go by influence, you have to pick Van Halen one. Exactly. Enough said. Well, Chris, <laughs> I do appreciate you coming back. You're always a great guest. We always have great debates. And uh, look forward to the next one, my man. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me back. Uh, looking forward to any other further debates you might cook up that I'm game for. And uh, always happy to talk rock with you, Jay. Much appreciated. Yeah, man. You're welcome anytime. I know. Everybody loves when you come on. I know the first episode you were on got uh, great feedback, got a great response. So glad you were able to have this discussion with me tonight and look forward to the next one. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Everyone, that is Chris Preston from My Rock and Roll Heaven. And you can find him on Twitter at Rock These Tweets. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Check out Pantheon Podcast. Check out all the other episodes on the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 